Reading from Luke 2, to 35. Jesus presented at the te- temple. And when the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have been, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the, your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. We are here, O God, in your presence, responding to your call to be your people together. Scattered as we are, some here physically together, others joining through the gift of technology. And together we ask that you would speak to us through your word, through the words spoken from the Gospel of Luke, through the words that I will speak here. Oh God, we pray that these words would be words to us from you in the way that only you can make it so. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. It's good to be here together. Must admit, I have some feelings of nervousness for a number of reasons. I mean, one is that uh, I saw an eye doctor like six months ago and he said, the reading glasses you're wearing, Derek, are nowhere near strong enough. It's like, whoa. Yeah, so suddenly I had to max out like the reading glasses at Costco. Uh, and I find that if I wear them and I'm moving, then everything moves way too fast. You ever get that feeling? Yeah, it's, it's really kind of crazy. So I'm going to try without the reading glasses. But, uh, and I even like printed this off in bigger print you know, to compensate. Um, and hopefully everything will work. And 
you know, this is, I got to admit, this is like the first time I've been gathered with God's people uh, in a room like this together since the start of the pandemic. So I'm still a little like, not too sure what to do with this mask, but I just brought it up there just to remind me that this is a difficult time, this pandemic time for all of us. Uh, it's, we didn't ask for it. We never expected it. Uh, but we're trying to faithfully live through it. It was interesting, as I uh, thought about this passage and what God has given to us, I thought about a, a great theological film from the 90s, Forrest Gump. You might, you might have seen it or heard about it. One of the favorite lines that I have in that film is, uh, as Forrest is sitting on the park bench or by the bus stop, the bench by the bus stop, and he's got a box of chocolates. And like every time he reaches and he grabs a chocolate, uh, he, he says, uh, life is, was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And he attributes that to his mother. And then he would go on into uh, and share a, uh, an episode of his life with the person who was sitting there. But that's so true, isn't it? Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You know, in some ways, it, it doesn't seem fair. I mean, perhaps I'm not even sure if I can move around too much, because if I move, then I might go off screen, right, or off camera or something like that. So uh, you might see me kind of doing this, and that's just my myself just struggling within itself. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, maybe this might not seem fair to you, so back to the chocolates. Here I am talking about chocolates, and I'm not passing any around. Um, and if you have chocolates with you, well, you're allowed to enjoy them. Um, but uh, yeah, so here we are. We're thinking about this box of chocolates, and uh, it's a hard place to be. I mean, chocolates on our mind, perhaps, but not in our hand. Sorry. Um, to, there we go. Uh, yeah, but not in hand and, um, and not in her mouth. But I think there's a lot of truth with uh, that, that, that phrase that Forrest attributes to his mom uh, when she talks about chocolates. Because sometimes you get the chocolate you want. You pick it out and you get that the hazelnut. I love the hazelnut covered chocolates nice crunch in the flavors, and sometimes you don't. Um, sometimes you get the chocolate that's really tasty, and other times you get this piece of chocolate and you wonder, who ever thought this was supposed to be good? Talking about chocolates can be a reminder of what we uh, can do or can't do. Uh, it can remind us of what we can eat and what we can't eat, because there could be some of us who should not be anywhere near chocolates. Uh, talking about chocolates can even um, bring to mind perhaps a difficult memory of when maybe chocolates were shown to you but not given to you. And all this talks about, all talk about chocolates might bring up some thoughts and feelings, some that are pleasant and others not so much. And then there's even the possibility of perhaps some distressing thoughts and feelings that come with chocolates. I mean, chocolates are one way of thinking about both the highs, to have that treat, 
to hold it, to enjoy it, to be with others and enjoying it, and then to be denied it, the lows, the contrast, and the tension can even be, perhaps, I suggest, more prominent in the season of Advent and as Christmas approaches. Having difficult feelings just 20 days out from Christmas can be, well, conflicting. We might, ourselves, feel some tension in terms of Christmas. The highs, certainly, in terms of... Uh, in terms of the season and the carols and the music and the kind of atmosphere that happens, you know, we feel as we walk into a store or we uh, turn on the radio or come into the church building. And also the lows, reminders of the way perhaps it used to be, of what it was like and what it won't be anymore. There are certainly joy as we meet together today with God here in person and also uh, by Zoom and via the YouTube uh, channel. And as we recall from our Bible passage earlier, uh, we might even have a smile on our faces thinking about the feelings that Mary must have had and Joseph too as they brought their baby son to the temple. I mean, imagine Mary and Joseph with me just for a moment doing what they should be doing with their firstborn baby, following the law, following the practice, following what had been told by, to them and had been honored by their families. This is what you do with your firstborn who's a baby boy. And so they did. They brought him to the temple and joyously followed the religious law and practices they had known their lives. And the family gratefully offered from their poverty to purify Mary and Joseph after the birth of Jesus and to present and dedicate their firstborn son to the service and to the work of the very almighty God. And imagine as well, maybe even wonder what it was like when they met Simeon. Ah, and perhaps even a little bit of like, wow, this is incredible. And then, and then focus a little on Simeon and, uh, and, and can you pick up some of those feelings that he must have had? He had been waiting and anticipating the coming of Jesus. Can you imagine the waiting? Waiting patiently. And well, we don't know if it was patient waiting, but we do know it was waiting for many years. The words used there, we pull them apart, suggest years of waiting. Scholars suggest Simeon was advanced in years, and from a distance it's likely that his perhaps stooped profile could be easily seen, and up close we could imagine his once youthful skin has become translucent, and veins are starting to show through his arms and age spots on the back of his hands. And if Simeon did start waiting patiently, it seems he started to learn it, almost like a spiritual discipline giving his eagerness and anticipation again and again and again to God. Perhaps he might have learned to pray something like, I'm feeling anxious, God, today. I'm feeling that anticipation. 
teach me to wait. Teach me to want to learn your patience. I can almost hear Simeon pray as he walks slowly through the temple courts. Teach me, God. I've got these feelings. Teach me. And then the encounter. (laughs) Did he know that morning when he got up what was going to happen? Did he know when he walked to the temple? Or was it just in that moment as he walked around that there it was? The young couple, Joseph and Mary, and themselves feeling a sense of joy, perhaps mixed in with their awkwardness, like we might be feeling going into a a church building in pandemic times, wondering what it'll be like, what's going to happen. We'll be comfortable. And Simeon, from a distance away through his aged and clouded eyes, without the benefit of any sort of glasses, he spots them somehow, the ones he's been waiting for. And he moves over, moves closer, breaks all kinds of social distance kind of stuff. They didn't have to worry about that. And he's a picture of joy, and he's charged with an energy that's certainly not of his own. We do know joy, right? We have experiences of joy when what we anticipate and waited for starts to happen. Has anyone here been waiting for a grandchild? Don't have to admit it. Anyone here remembering your first grandchild? Maybe? It's joy, right? You've high-fived your son. You've given your daughter a great big hug and said, way to go. And then, of course, two years later, can, 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 can I hold her now? Can I hold her now? <laughs> and you're holding your, your grandchild and you're, and you're looking at her, at her face and you're feeling his body and there's, there's like a vulnerability and a fragility and a warmth and, and it's all kind of mixed up. And, 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 and the way God's wired us, we're, we're, we're feeling this kind of connection, this spiritual connection almost with this baby that we're holding in our arms and it's bringing us this amazing sort of feeling of comfort and peace and joy. And it's all natural. <laughs> it's all normal. And it's beautiful. And then as that child squirms, you kind of feel it moving and it's wonderful. And then suddenly you you feel kind of something else right around their bottom. And then, and then joy. You, you give the baby back to mom and dad and you say, I, I think baby needs you now. Yeah, yeah, right? We know joy, right? We know some of that joy of Simeon and Mary and Joseph. The parents were told marveled, marveled. We could also say astonished. They were astounded. They were amazed. This was joy that's unwrapped. They're floating. This is a high, a high point. And then Simeon continues to speak to Mary, sobering words even, pain-filled words. Can you imagine as a mother being so joy-filled and then hearing, And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Ow. Hard words. Tough words. 
downer words. Imagine this small baby, vulnerable, fragile, needing care and attention, being associated with so much pain, highs and lows at the same time, almost. We might be feeling that here as we think of the calendars, we look around the room and we see decorations for Christmas. As we realize we're 20 days out, Christmas is coming, and with it, well, feelings of joy and delight, a high. And perhaps even some lows as well. When I served as a pastor, I found Advent and Christmas to be complex seasons. Definitely the experience of joy and comfort and the delight of preaching of God moving into our world. And at the same time, there's so much going on in church life. And outside, there's pageants and holiday services, special performances, extra pastoral visits to give comfort, and of course that extra effort that we have because we want to rise to the occasion. And we want to be able to give God's people a real flavor for the beauty and the, the incredible uh, movement of God through the worship services and the preaching. You know, it's challenging pastoral work to connect people with the joy sung by the angels amid difficult and even distressing emotions that we can all feel as we anticipate Christmas. My lived experience is that the advent of the birth of Jesus Christ can be difficult to navigate. Christmas can be tough. The highs and the lows. It's a real tension. And it's okay to acknowledge it. It's okay to admit that this can be a difficult time. To notice the feelings. To acknowledge the challenging thoughts that are often associated there as well. The upsetting memories which might come as the holidays approach. There's many reasons that for some of us, perhaps many of us, Christmas can be difficult. At times, the added stress of the season can take away some of the mental energy we've used to overlook or even dismiss the difficult memories and the tough feelings at other times of the year. But now they seem to invade our presence. Christmas and the holidays are supposed to be wonderful family times, and so it can bring memories of past Christmases when mom was still alive or when our child was full of life and energy and is not right now. The empty chair or the empty bed or the empty room can bring confusing feelings of loss and grief. The stark contrast between what appears to be joy and happiness in others and the reality of our own personal difficult situation can cause us added distress. 
We can have memories even of past Christmases when being together was family. It was so difficult that the air was thick with tension, thick enough to cut with a knife. Dad and sister weren't talking again. Mom and brother were at it again. You might even be dreading a replay of the fights of Christmas past, the antics of a passive-aggressive sibling, the nervous anticipation of what will cause dad again to lose it this year, the barely concealed nastiness between your brother-in-law and your mother, or something else. I don't know. This is hard and tough stuff during the season of Christmas. Highs and lows. This is difficult to talk about and difficult to hear, difficult to ponder. Notice how popular the word difficult is today? For me, as I walk through the Advent season, at times with distressing feelings, memories of past times, and possibly for you as well, might be a difficult question kind of stirring. How can we live faithful, Holy Spirit-infused lives while navigating this difficult tension between the highs and the lows of the season, between this transcendent message of the gospel, the announcement of good news, and the reality of our confusing, difficult, and at times even very distressing emotions. And I think as we seek to live faithfully this Advent season, the Spirit first directs us to Simeon. The passage we have read from Luke 2 is is really rich, more than enough material for many, many sermons. But today we're given Simeon, who is described as attentive to the Holy Spirit. Simeon waits, and he seeks direction. And following the lead of Simeon, what if we sought to be attentive to the Holy Spirit in the challenges as Christmas approaches? What if prayers for ourselves and for our families, for our friends, for our church became something like, how God can we live faithfully with the trauma of past Christmases, the overwhelming grief we experience when we think about a loved one who is dead? the frustration of other family members, and the difficulty of trying to be your people in the world in which we live today. And wait on God. And I know this is easy to say, easy to write, easy to hear, maybe. But making it happen, 
It requires effort and intention. But it's in this prayer of waiting where we gain the awareness that our pain, grief, and trauma are experiences but are not the only story of who we are. And so in this waiting, in this prayer of being attentive to the Holy Spirit, we might even then hear, perhaps even faintly, the invitation of Jesus. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Rest. Rest for us. Rest for us. And so secondly, I wonder, is the Holy Spirit inviting us? Just as Simeon approached Mary and Joseph and was with them, just as Simeon attended and waited on God, and, and God was patient even more so with Simeon. What if we try to make ourselves available just to be with another person? Another person who we know, we're aware of some of their struggles some of the challenges that they face, particularly as Christmas approaches. Someone who's lost a loved one, and this is the first Christmas without them, or second. Someone for whom the season of Christmas causes particular pain or distress, or families are nowhere near what they should be. And instead of giving advice to that person which pushes them away or ignore that person, think, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to say because uh, it is kind of scary, you know, to sit with someone whose emotions are like all over the place and distressing it is. But what if we just said, I'll sit with them and be with them? I think the Holy Spirit is inviting us today to learn to sit and to learn to listen, to learn to sit with difficult emotions, perhaps both some of ours and also those of others. For some of us, that's much, it seems like overwhelming work. And for others, it might seem rather appealing even. But still, it's something I believe all of us can do to sit and to listen, to acknowledge the difficulties, to speak accurate observations, to say, yeah, that is hard. That's a really distressing memory. To acknowledge your parents were tough and your life you faced numerous challenges. And to pray as you sit and listen. To ask the Holy Spirit to be present in greater measure. For the past three years, I've been involved in 
psychological research and study in an academic and theological setting. Does that all make sense? Something, right? And what I found fascinating, continue to find fascinating, is I probe topics like suicide and trauma and recovery, is that there's an amazing overlap between my studies of theology and my much more contemporary studies of psychology. And the overlap is in terms of belonging, in terms of community, in terms of being with other people, of having uh, a depth and a stability and consistency in relationships that are marked by, well, grace, hope, love, peace, shalom, joy. Yeah, it's fascinating when you read the psychology and all the studies that say, you know, if you want to help someone walk through trauma, because we all experience trauma, but not everyone who experiences trauma is, um, uh, it, it gets, gets PSD, uh, PTSD. In fact, only like maybe 10%. It's a small number. But you know what helps people who've gone through trauma? Other people. Other people saying something simple like, that's tough. That's hard. Other people even just kind of coming alongside, maybe even giving a hug or elbow bump. I'm with you. Other people who are not waiting for you to call, I mean, after all, do you expect someone in the ICU to give you a call and say, hey, come and visit? <laughs> someone who's been traumatized and distressed is in an emotional ICU. Calling and saying, hey, thinking of you. Hope all's well. That's all. Just that. That's it. Is that amazing? And you know, when we sit with someone in that way, maybe it's a Zoom call, maybe it's a phone call, maybe it's going for a walk. You know what we're conveying? The message that we're giving? God is with you. And it's not just a message that we're giving to the other person, but we're also giving it to ourselves. Because there's something sacred in that moment when we're with someone else and we're attempting to show that we get it. And they start to feel like they get it. That's a sacred moment. And it's in those moments that I think we remind ourselves and we experience Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so in the highs and lows of the season, where we talk about these words that are so full of richness and goodness, 
hope, love, peace, joy. But which can also come with so much hurt and pain. Jesus, Emmanuel, is with us through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he has given us, the Spirit has given us, this incredible way of making that real for all of us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Join me in prayer. In this most beautiful season, O oh God, where your gospels, where your word, where the canon points to Jesus in such a beautiful and powerful way. We sit and we wait. We acknowledge the hurts and the pains and the struggles and the grief and the loss and the trauma and the hurt and the fights and the hard words spoken and heard. We acknowledge that this season can bring up all kinds of memories and distress of the past. It's hard. It's even hard to move beyond them. And at times they can be so overwhelming. We, we don't know what to do with them. We bury them. We hide them. Or we think we do. It might even make us feel like we're worthless. And no one will get us. We're not even good enough for God, for you. And as we wait for the coming again of Jesus, will God reach down into the depths of our lows? And help us in our frailty to know that you get us, that you're with us. And oh God, for those in our lives who are feeling discomfort and even distress 
during this season, or perhaps any season. Make us wise so that we say words not that push others away, so we're reluctant with advice, but we're generous with presence. Make us wise as to how we can be channels of your peace, of your hope, of your love, and even of your joy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.